Battle Line Podcast. My name is Ian Scotto. I am Tonto Axtastic today. And you'll know, well, why? You'll, are we recording this before or after? <laughs> after. <laughs> you all know why. Tonto Axtastic. That's what I am today on my on my ID. Can you read that, Ian? Right there. Yeah. That, Tonto Axtastic. There you go. I like on, it. Uh, Squadcast. <laughs> uh, yeah, because we, we record on Squadcast. That, that's why, as you guys will hear, I mean, shout out to them, even though they're not a sponsor or anything. The audio quality is awesome with them, I think. They did a good I've, job. I've been really yeah. happy with them. So, yeah, for the new listeners, we speak to members of the special operations community and sometimes military family members, gold star family members like Cheryl Dultz, as we do in this episode. If you got a chance to check out War Heroes on Newsmax, this will take you a little bit behind the scenes of that and also um, give you some stories that you never heard before, actually, on War Heroes. So uh, if you enjoyed that, you're really going to enjoy this episode. Um, It's, you know, we, we get deep into it. But we also have some laughs, and I think you'll really love it. So uh, before we get into our segment with Cheryl Dolts, as always, Ned keeps us going. I I love Ned, and the thing that makes them such a great supplement, the um, full-spectrum hemp in, in particular, is there's so many supplements on the market where you don't know what it's doing for you. you it's hard to tell if it's giving you that edge. I can tell you, man, whenever I take Ned's full-spectrum hemp and I take the smaller dosage, I have a mate, not just dreams. I have like full motion picture dreams. So when people say I don't have dreams anymore um, and you want to have some vivid dreams and get that great night's sleep and relieve some stress, Ned, they're, they're awesome. Uh, the the full spectrum hemp has been, I've been on it now, taking it for uh, over a year. And uh, yeah, I, I, you do, you get acclimated to it. You, know, you take the dosage that they recommend, but you'll find yourself leveling out. My wife and even people around you will see that your demeanor has changed. You'll become more relaxed. You'll become, uh, you know, more uh, aware of what's going on around you. You, you, Less stress, like Ian's talking about. Sleep improves. Um, But there's also the benefits of other effects because it's an anti-inflammatory. You know, me having my my ulcerative colitis, it's helped with that. And just being, having, just taking it in lieu of taking over-the-counter Tylenol. If I have something sore, it, it works. Damn. It does. It's an anti-inflammatory. So you're reaping a bunch of benefits, uh, not just the stress relief, which is tremendous. But um, and that makes your life better. So it, it is. It's it's a it's a lifestyle choice, really, to take CBD and to take Ned's uh, Ned. It, Ned and I say Ned. I always have said Ned. Sorry, guys. It's always say Ned. But to take Ned because it, it has made my life better. I, it has, I, you know, uh, and granted it's my choice as well, which has done that, but relieving the stress, getting better sleep, having less aches and pains, who doesn't want to have that in their life? And you're going to have feel better every day. And it, it's, it's really made a huge difference. guys. So I, I, I highly recommend it. I highly recommend Ned and I highly recommend, um, they're the natural CBD without the taste as it just, it just, it just feels good after I take it. My wife, like I said, she's notices the difference when I'm not on it, when I'm on it. Um, if like some vacations, I go on trips and sometimes I, I forget to take it with me and she can tell, Hey, man, you know, get, get back home and remember to bring that in your, in your carry on next time you go through. And it's made a huge amount of difference in my life. And, I don't know. I, I think I even feel and look better uh, because of the ability to 
get better workouts and more sleep. And again, the less aches and pains and my ulcerative colitis doesn't flare up. So tremendous. You're a beautiful man. They have the the pill form too, for those who who aren't into the taste, but I I love the liquid form. That's what I'm sticking with. So um, beyond that, it's a rich source of antioxidants. And then in even more serious cases, it's been used for serious conditions such as epilepsy, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, Mm -hmm. and more. They also have their uh, of course, body butter, which we always talk about, oh, and awesome, their um, awesome stuff. Yeah, and and their natural cycles line for those who are, are experiencing period pain, that type of stuff for the female listeners. So, uh, yeah, check them out if you want to check out Ned and try their CBD or any great products for yourself. We have a special offer for the podcast audience. Go to helloned.com slash battleline or enter battleline at checkout for 15% off your first one-time order or 20% off your first subscription order plus free shipping. I have some listeners who've been hitting me up. They've become subscribers. They love it. So yeah, if you want to start off with that subscription or just one time, you could use that promo code and that's dot com slash battle line to get 15% off your first one-time order or 20% off your first subscription order plus free shipping. Thank you, Ned. All right, let's hit it. From Omaha, Nebraska to New York City, from planet Earth to extraterrestrial life in space, a podcast with no equal, engaged in unconventional warfare through your speakers and headphones. This is a show about embracing the suck, conquering your demons, and finding God in the face of adversity. Chris Tonto Peranto. Twitch is on. Motherfucker, I'm going to shoot you in the face. Ian Scotto. You know, Ian and I have been dating for a long time. You are now tuned into the Battle Line Podcast. The Switch is on. Battleline podcast and on with us a very special guest Cheryl Dolts and many of you got to watch the uh, the pilot episode of War Heroes on Newsmax and Cheryl Dolts of course for those who have seen it know uh, that she is the gold star mother of Ryan Dolts who was an Army National Guard member killed in action by an IED in Baghdad in Iraq on June fourth of two thousand four at the age of twenty six. And uh, yeah, many of you I know really loved that War Heroes. I, I want to say documentary. I know it's a show, but it was really, I mean, there's a lot of work that went into it. But documentary hosted, of course, by Chris and directed by Jack Thomas Smith, along with Mandy Del Rio. So yeah, with that, it's it's an honor to finally have you on. We've been talking about this a while. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's a chance to talk about Ryan. I enjoy it. That's, uh, and do you know, I I haven't heard from Jack. How did it do? Did did you get any word on how it did with Newsmax or? Um, Apparently it did quite well that uh, he was very busy just before that because on 9-11, their documentary that they did, 9-11, the day that shook the world also premiered. Uh, 
Okay. And so he's been busy with both, but he said that the people there were very happy with uh, War Heroes. So hopefully uh, they will be able to do the whole series. Yeah, that'd be, it'd be great. That was a little, how many years? That was, I told, uh, I told the end three years ago. Yeah, it was a long, it seems like it is. To me, it seems like a long time ago. It, it was. It, it does. I know, but we had a good time. I mean, we had I, cookies. I never get into that stories. We had tons of cookies. The granddaughters were there. They were cooking up. Oh, I, one of them, which one is the one that did, wouldn't let me eat any, though? Said I couldn't well, have like any. The little one. She's not great. She was only three then. Oh, and now she's big. Is she first yeah. grade? She's first grade. First, first grade and as fresh as ever. Is she going to school or do they still have okay, good? In fact, she was in school every day last year full time because she went to kindergarten at Picatinny Arsenal and they had school every day. That's good. Same as my kids. Was in out. Um, But they're both back in school and Addie's in sixth grade now. So she's middle school. Wow. Very grown up. They, they did. They were active, bro. They were, they were, uh, yeah, they were bosses of the house. I remember when Addie loved it. I, she, she was really taken by acting. She she was, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we were acting. I'm the, the, the only part I may have acted is at the beginning when we were drive the driving scene where I had to be solemn and I was like, Jack, I was like, Jack, I'm not, this is, this seems I'm, I'm really not solemn of, and drive and say, you know, how hard this is. I think we should, we should pump it up a little bit. He's like, no, 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 this is what I want. Okay. I'll try to, I'll, I'll try. And I just, I look at it and I'm like, man, I, I, I didn't <laughs> even come off of entrance when you were coming in the door. Remember we that <laughs> several times and I, I didn't make it. that was on the cutting room floor. Yeah, that's what I say. Just do what something natural, not do it over and over. yeah. We had to walk up. I had to walk up to the door, and this is where I started to learn about a lot of this stuff. Where just do it over and over again, and then half the time it doesn't even end up in the show. But um, yeah, but that was that was still fun though. I driving up to the yeah. to the and, and having you act like you actually wanted to see me after the hundredth time of doing it. <laughs> yeah. so, <laughs> Well, there's a little clip that's maybe five, ten seconds that it took them two hours to film. Ann and I were in the car, and we rode up and down one of the streets in town. First, we had drones following us, a drone in front of us, then behind us. Then we had the produce uh, Jack and one of the cameramen in the car, and then they switched places. And we were not to laugh. We were not to talk. We were to look serious for two hours. And I was waiting for the police to come because neighbor didn't call and say, what's going on here? That's what I thought was going to happen with us driving. It's like, Jack, we're driving down the same road over and over and over again. <laughs> uh, somebody's going to think we got a dime bag in the car and we're trying to, <laughs> we're trying to pick up somebody on the side of the road. Like, no, oh, no, that'd be fine. Like, whatever. As long as you explain it, that there's a camera in the back and there's three guys in here driving up the same road over and over again. Whatever. Well, at the end, when they filmed at Arlington for Reeves Across yeah. America, you can hear the rain, but you cannot imagine how hard it was raining. It was 
pouring and we were there. They mic'd us up at five o'clock in the morning. We went to breakfast and all this is being recorded because after a while you forget you have a microphone on. Yeah, yeah. And it was my daughter, my son, my granddaughter and myself, uh, Addie. And we had breakfast and then we had to be at Arlington at the Pentagon at seven in the morning. And then the Gold Star families were brought in together to the parking lot. And we were there and Anne and Addie were singing something from Hamilton. Doug Paul, one of our trustees who was with us, was singing something from A Star is Born. And all this is on the recording. They forget, you know, we're all my yeah, yeah, yeah. We got in at 7 o'clock. We parked. We walked over to Section 60. Seven in the morning, and we've got our umbrellas. It's pouring down rain. Jack and the others that were filming did not get there until 11. What? Because it took them that long to get through security. Wow. Gold Star families don't have to go through security, but anyone else coming to help does. And we, by the time they got there, we were drowned rats. Yeah. <laughs> Even our umbrellas weren't working anymore. Our clothes were soaked. We were soaked right to the skin. And uh, so then they had us walk back and forth up and down the one aisle. And now we start to draw a crowd, which is what we didn't want to didn't do. Want to, yeah, because the cameras people as, and, and they were using very small cameras, so it wasn't real obtrusive. And uh, it was like we got back in the car. We got back to the hotel. There was not a dry piece of clothing on any of us. <laughs> the hotel had dryers we could put our shoes into because oh. everything was soaked. I, I got to miss. I, I missed that day of filming. Yep, I didn't have to do that. Yeah, <laughs> you were lucky. <laughs> I got a sunny day. And it's funny because other times we've gone, it's been seventy degrees and absolutely gorgeous. We've gone when it was snowing or sleeting, but never the pouring rain like it was that day. Ryan was getting even with us. There was. He's like, stop it. Yeah, I, I, rain. You can. I can handle anything. Snow. I mean, after a while, if it's wet snow. But when you're wet, that's when you're most. I hate being wet. I hated when I was serving. That was the worst thing in the world. I can always drink water. I can bundle up for snow. But you can't. You you can't stop. And if you, the more the more waterproof gear you put on, the more you sweat underneath. So now you're wet anyway. And then if the wind picks up. That's the, uh, yeah, that's miserable. Rain is rain makes things just, just amplifies the misery and it, it amplifies the suck factor to times a hundred. So, I, oh, I, I, but like I said, I, I didn't have to be there. So I, I'm okay with that. I, 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 I can look at it and laugh and smile. they like, man, yeah, sucks to be well, you, man. Sucks to be you, man, mom adults. Sucks to well, be last you. year, because of the pandemic, they did it differently. They had a whole week when Gold Star families could go and pick up however many wreaths you needed uh, because Ryan has two cousins that are buried at Arlington. And so we, we got the wreaths for all of them and put them out. But this year, the whole family is planning on going um, December 18th. And hopefully it'll be nice weather because at three o'clock in the afternoon, we will be placing We've been chosen to place a wreath on the tomb of the unknown soldier. How did how did now how did that happen? I mean, how did you get? Do you put a draw? They do a drawing or something. Apply for it. Oh wow! Um, I had applied several times 
for the anniversary of his death. Sure. But those are always booked way up ahead of time because school trips in June, that sort of thing. But there are no school trips in December. December, yeah. And <laughs> so we normally we are there from seven o'clock in the morning till about ten or eleven. And at that point, two hundred and fifty thousand reads have been put out. Wow. And there's so many people who come and help. And so then that will we'll have time to go back to the hotel and get ready. So it'll be my daughter, my son, Greg, um, my daughter, Anne, my granddaughter, Addison, uh, the older one, and Doug Paw, who is um, one of the trustees of our foundation. He was one of those who escorted you around when you were yep. here in New Jersey. She was nice, very nice guy. Oh, he is. Uh, right now, he's down in Louisiana with the Red Cross. He's been there for a month. That he works with, he's a retired police officer who works with the Red Cross, and wherever they send him to deal with hurricanes, fires, whatever, he's going. But he said he will be there in December uh, uh, to do that. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's quite an honor. Yeah, that, that'll be a great honor. Um, you know, you know what I wanted to ask you. I mean, just getting into everything in terms of the actual, and I, like I said, I keep thinking documentary more than show because I really do feel like it was a documentary. Even hopefully there are more, but I, I even think just that episode stands alone as a documentary on Ryan and a documentary on your family. Um, when you were first approached about the idea, how did you feel about it? Like, did you think it was going to be too intrusive, or were you saying to yourself, "I want to honor my son and"? let as many people in the country know about this great story. I'm just wondering your feelings. Well, when I first received an email from Mandy, I kind of was very skeptical about it because gold star families are approached for many things. And some of them are fake. You know, you have to be very careful who you deal with. And so I, when I wrote back, we arranged to meet at a local diner and I brought my son with me. My daughter normally is the one, and usually goes with me to things, but she was busy, so I took Greg. I figured nobody's messing with Greg. He's six six. He looks very intimidating. <laughs> nobody's messing. Nobody's messing with Annie. She's tough as nobody's going to mess with her either. She, 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 she she'll let somebody know. I could just tell her she'll let somebody know if, if she has a problem with them. Yeah, yeah, and she has a hard time doing that, uh, but she keeps me in line. But uh, Greg went with me and we met Mandy and Jack. And as soon as we met them, we realized they were very sincere in what they wanted to do. Um, as far as being intrusive, like I said, the more I can talk about Ryan, the more his name, his memory are kept alive. I'm happy that um, we it was the same way after he died. So many people don't want the press around. We invited them in because we wanted them to tell his story, but we wanted them to tell him his story from our viewpoint, not from what they might find out uh, on the internet or something like that. We wanted them to hear what we had to say. And I truly think if you make the press your friends, you're better off. You don't want to, to aggravate them because then, you know, it makes it hard for you. And we were very fortunate, um, Mandy and Jack did a wonderful job, but I have to tell you at the meeting, they were so excited because they said, we have Chris Peranto to be the uh, host. 
I had no idea who you were. Like, who? That's like, like, who? And I did my same thing I do when I meet someone that I'd had in school years ago or a parent. Of, I oh, actually, yeah. Like, oh, that's wonderful. Come home and um, see who you were. So then I put 13 hours because I remembered immediately as soon as I saw your name, I remembered the movie. I found it on TV on demand. I watched it, but I had a real hard time watching it because the young man who played your part yeah. had been a recurring actor on Law and Order SVU, which and is he, one of my favorite shows. Yeah, but, but he's he's a he's a serial rapist. Yes. Hard, yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, you all I saw was this serial rapist. <laughs> and by the third time I watched the movie, <laughs> then I didn't think of him as having been on SVU and uh, holding Sergeant Benson hostage. Yeah, yeah, I remember. <laughs> started thinking of him as a different person and he did he was you to a t yeah that's what i tell people it's remarkable how but his personality off screen is similar he's just i mean our physical statures are are completely different he's a monster he's huge but but um but it is he's 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 just a goof he personality and that's came off of but i i saw those svu units those as well because that's when they told me he was playing me i was like i thought of him and then i thought of he played that sexual deviant security guard in orange is the new black i used to watch that and i was like i, I this is what i said when that happened i remember i told richard i uh, got richard abate who's with three arts who's doing the they were the ones that, that produced the movie uh, i i go man you, you've got a sexual deviant porn star porn stash rapist guy playing me in the movie and i was like yeah that's perfect right there yeah well then after that i was excited to meet you because i remembered when all of that happened and how i felt about it and i couldn't wait to meet you and i was excited that you were able to uh to be the host of the show and you did not disappoint you did a wonderful job uh, yeah you, you're no your family it made it easy and the and the board went down to the vfw and they got his old teammates i just really that's the easiest thing to do is as far as when you're doing tv is because you're just hosting you're just here asking questions it's you guys that actually are the show i'm just i'm just kind of there kind of going all right smile do i smile now do i accept what do i do but Jack, that's why I asked Jack. I was like, Jack, there's a couple things in there where, where you're getting my mannerisms wrong. That's not what I was doing when she was talking to me. And and we would change it up. I was like, you say something that, you know, talk about Ryan. And it really is something that, that really heartfelt. And he pan over and I would be smiling. Like, Jack, you're, people are going to hate my guts because they're thinking I'm smiling while she's talking about this heartfelt. And that's not what I was doing. I said, I don't remember doing that. But it, 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 they edited great. And, and you were awesome. I, we had a you, – you, and I want to kind of get in it because we're jumping, we're jumping to it. Um, before we get to that, can you tell us – because I think a lot of people out there may not know Ryan's story that we have listening out there. Can you, if you don't mind, get into that a little bit? And, and there's some that do, but – you know, the beginning and we don't, you know, maybe even the national guard and just his perseverance to, to go. That's, that's what impressed me is that, you know, he didn't have to go and he was injured. I, that, that was like, Holy crap, this guy. And he still went and people don't know that they don't know that he was. Well, he was persistent from the day he was born. 
because he was born two months early. And in 1978, a preemie, you know, it was very questionable whether or not they would survive. And they um, were just starting a neonatal unit at St. Barnabas Hospital where he was born. He, they, I asked the doctors what chance he would have of surviving when I was in labor. And they told me maybe 30% at most. Wow. Because he'd probably weigh between two, you know, between one and a half to three pounds. He weighed five and a quarter pounds. And they told me he would be in the NICU at least two months. He was there 11 days and they sent him home. That he was, he was determined even then. Um, He was a handful is the best way to put it. Um, He when he was little, had a problem with his one foot turning in. So he had to wear, he used to put a bar, special shoes with a bar, and it tilt, turned his foot out so that he had to keep it on 23 hours a day. He learned to walk. He learned to go up and down stairs with this bar. He could swing it out of the crib. He, knew, he got enough momentum that if he swung it up, he went right over and out. He was all over the place. But a year later, it was corrected. He didn't have that problem again. Um, he played football and baseball in high school. Well, actually, he started football when he was in about third grade, I think. Um, he had tried soccer. That wasn't his thing. But football, he loved football. And uh, played baseball for a while in high school. He was six six, so he could have played basketball, but that he wasn't interested. He wanted something where he actually got to hit people. (laughs) Um, As a kid, he and his brother played war with all the kids in the neighborhood. And all he ever wanted to be was a soldier. When he was a junior in high school, he had the opportunity to go to football camp at Auburn university. And um, I can't remember the name of the coach right offhand, but Oh, Terry Bowden. That's who it was. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. He had a picture of Ryan standing next to him, and Ryan's about two feet taller than he is. Um, <laughs> they teased him at the camp, and my daughter was the one who took him down because I wasn't able to get off from school. She said, she called me, she goes, he's the smallest person here, and he was 6'6 and weighed about 250. She said, there are kids coming in who are freshmen in high school who weigh 350 pounds. Jeez. And, you know, and the coaches even said to him, um, are you sure you shouldn't be at kicker's camp? You're awfully small because he played defense. He was a nose guard. Wow. And so he decided to try. He went over to practice with the offense and see if that would be better. And there was one coach he was so impressed with. He could spit tobacco out of either side of his mouth. (laughs) And after they were doing some drills, he made a comment to Ryan. And I'm not going to give you the whole comment because you'd have to delete it. He said, (laughs) son, you're slower than steam off cow. (laughs) And uh, he remembered that. But, and by the way, you can say whatever you want here. We're not, we don't have to cut anything out. He said, slower and steam off cow shit. There you go. This isn't Newsmax. We can say whatever. Ryan thought that was cool. You know, and he knew it. He was not a good runner, but he could, if he was given an objective, he could take out whoever that person was. And uh, so he wanted to go to Auburn. He would have to be a walk on. 
because they told them, we don't recruit in the North. You don't play real football. Yeah. This, no, I, it, and we don't. Yeah, yep. Nothing like, you know, they have stadiums for the high school. Yeah. Yeah. Even as a, when I was a kid in the 60s, we had a huge stadium with lights at my high school, but it's different up here. And so he would have to be a walk-on. Well, then he went to a college fair and met a, a young man from VMI. And he said, you know, I really want to, I want to check it out. And I'm like, oh, Ryan, I don't think so. <laughs> You're not real good at following rules and regulations and that sort of thing. I don't know that VMI would, and you're going to have to take a foreign language. And he was horrible at foreign languages. And so I, the, the catalog came and I pitched it. And <laughs> That's dirty. <laughs> I, I said, you know, you can, he had to have two years of a foreign language. I said, you will never pass. Never. Because you can't get extra help like you could in high school just to barely get through one year of Spanish. So he, because uh, he's like me, he just doesn't hear the sounds. My daughter, we went to France and my daughter made fun of the few words I could say. She told me to keep my mouth shut because it was going to get me in trouble. <laughs> but anyway, back to Ryan. He um, he decided he wanted to go to this dinner they were having for prospective cadets. And the Alumni Association was holding it. So we went, and they seated him with the football coach from VMI, and who was a very nice gentleman. It was very interesting. He explained to him how we have peanut butter on the tables. That is a condiment for you. You're expected to eat at least half a jar a day because you need to bulk up a little bit. Now, 250 wasn't enough. And they had two cadets there. And so he signed up for what uh, they call um, – it's a weekend when they can come and spend the weekend in the barracks with the cadets. And um, he went down, and it was in the middle of the winter. It was horrible weather, December. My daughter drove him down because, again, it was a Friday. I could not take off from school. And she said, Mom, the place looks like a prison. And it does. And, in fact, the barracks were used in a film years ago as a prison. It was a Civil War film, and it was the prison. He loved every minute of it. Um, I don't know who they put him with, but the cadets that he was with showed him all how you bend the rules, you don't break them. You know, Sure. Which fun it can be. And he came home, and that was the only place he wanted to go. That was it. That's where he wanted to go. And he was accepted there. He was also accepted at the Citadel. And I was kind of glad he did not go there because the Citadel, that was the first year they had women there. And there was so much media coverage of that that that. really wasn't a good situation. And they only brought in one woman. Ryan's second class year was when women came to VMI, but they brought in a number of women Plus, they brought in women officers from other military academies, uh, from um, Virginia Tech, from Texas A&M, so that the women cadets who were rats did not feel isolated. There were officers they could go to to talk to. And uh, he didn't like it. (laughs) He liked the old war that was all male. 
but he got used to it. And uh, he he's, was class of 2000, but he didn't graduate till 2002. Um, he started out as a biology major. And after one semester, decided to switch to physics because his dyke, his mentor, Joe Claypatch, who was the drum major of the band, was a physics major. And he wanted to be just like Joe. So that was two and a half years of I will take everything twice <laughs> because physics was not his thing. And finally, Joe set him down and said, look, do you want to graduate or do you want to study physics? He said, well, I want to graduate. Hmm. He said, well, then switch to either business or history, and then you'll graduate. So he switched to history and uh, with a minor in business, and that's the minor in business is what helped him graduate. He should have been a business major all along because all of those macroeconomics and microeconomics, he thought they were easy. Statistics, there's nothing to it. You know, whether other people are having a horrible time, he thought that was a breeze. Um, I think that's one of the interesting things about when you graduate high school is that at high school, it's like so regimented. And then in college and all the in higher education, you kind of thrive in these areas that you didn't learn about. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, he played football for about a month. And then he got mono. Because oh, wow. sweat parties, they call them, where they took a certain number of cadets into a room with a light, and that's about it. And they worked them out for 20 minutes. And when they got hot, they took, gave them a cup of water and passed it around to all of them. And they all came down with mono. And the way it was there, you still had to go to class and you still had to do your work. Wow. You, spent, you're, you went to the post hospital. That's where you slept. But... You still had to do your work. You know, there was no taking a month off to get over it. But that meant there was no football. And there was also no remote learning then. Like, you couldn't hop on this thing like we are now, you know. so you didn't have a computer. And, uh, in fact, you know, it was – I don't think they had the internet even when he graduated. <laughs> they had computers, but I'm not sure they were totally yeah. up with the internet. That um, he – got better and then discovered rugby and liked it because it was football without pads. And he was the one that they would lift up in the air by his pants. Uh, you know, it was like, I watched one game at West point and I had never seen a rugby game. I knew nothing about rugby and I saw them putting tape around his head. Like <laughs> figure out why. And one of the mothers said, that's so nobody pulls his ears off. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Because <laughs> apparently they grab whatever they can get. And uh, he loved it. Just absolutely loved it. Did, did, and, when, did, when did he get, because did he play the tuba at, at okay. BMI as well? Didn't he get into that as well? He was in the high school band, played tuba, and um, played in the regimental band at BMI. And his second class year, he spent a lot of time conducting the pep band at basketball games because the drum major would say, oh, you know, I've got something I have to do. Can, would, Ryan, would you take over and conduct the band? And they get their rings in their second class year. And that he would get their attention by banging his ring on the railing. And it would make a lot of noise. And that's how 
and he loved to do that. They were all, he was always banging that ring on something. Uh, but he loved, he just loved VMI, everything about it. At the end of his second class year, though, he had not met the 24 hour rule. You must complete 24 credits within a year because he had to go to basic training for the National Guard. He had joined the National Guard at the end of his third class year, his uh, sophomore year, and he had one year till he had to go through basic and he hadn't done it yet. So he had to do it that summer. Well, that meant that he couldn't come back to VMI at the end of the summer. So for one year, he went to Fairleigh Dickinson University here in New Jersey and did so well. He was on the Dean's list here where at VMI, he was just barely getting by, but he was on the Dean's list and they wanted him to be in their honors program. And he said, thank you, but I want to go back to VMI and get that big diploma because it's actually a sheepskin. It's huge. I didn't know that. I, oh yeah. Wow. You can get the regular one, or we figured after he, it took him six years to finally yeah. get, he was getting the big one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that he, uh, I worked with his advisor, because at that point he had switched to history. And I had worked with Colonel Davis to set up the classes that he should take here. And then he um, went back and did his last year at VMI and actually graduated in 2002. Though he was always considered a member of the class of 2000. Because whichever class you matriculate with, that's the class you are always a member of, no matter when you graduate. Um, But he was, you know, he loved VMI. He loved being in the National Guard down there. And as soon as he graduated, he was deployed as part of Operation Noble Eagle in Maryland. Um, We don't realize, but we have chemical weapons here. And we are testing chemical weapons and devising things all the time. And his unit was assigned to guard our chemical weapons, whatever you call it. Um, And it's one of the few places where you are allowed, you are authorized to shoot anyone who comes near the fence. He said, however, in that year, all he saw was a couple of rabbits that came near the fence. (laughs) But in the middle of the night, you'd be in the guard tower and a convoy would come up and they would get out of their cars and you would be pointing your guns at them and they would point their guns at you. And then they would bring something in, go back to a building and be there a little while and then leave again. He said, I didn't want to know what they had in those trucks. Um, But uh, when he finished, he was going through OCS while he was doing that. And right before the physical test, did playing some game or something or other hurt his leg and wasn't able to to, uh, run. So he couldn't do the test. Transferred back up here because when the deployment was over, there were no jobs in Virginia. His unit was from Martinsville. There was nothing available. Came back up here and went to work um, for a company called More Trench American. They're the company that built the slurry wall for the World Trade Center. And they hired him first just as a part-time to fill in on something. But then he did such a good job they made it a permanent job and they call he was a cost engineer. It was also his job to go with 
the engineers who sometimes are not that big, you know, they're, they're engineers. And he was almost like a bodyguard because when they had to go and deal with the uh, unions in New York, jobs, his job was just to stand there and look scary. Um, And he could do that quite well. Uh, My students used to refer to Ryan and Greg as the funny one and the scary one. Because when Greg came in, Greg would be joking and fooling around and Ryan would come in very seriously, you know, um, asking usually for money uh, or something. And uh, they both had chaperoned class trips and all the girls wanted to be on Greg's group. (laughs) And Ryan would ask for the worst behave and he would have them marching in a row. We'd be in New York city and they would be in a line one right behind the other because they were all a little afraid of it. He said, line up one behind the other. They did it. Greg, Greg mentioned something to me. and I think you did as well. Maybe Ann did as well, but you said Greg had all the girls around him, but Ryan was the actual movie star. Literally. literally. And if people want to see, I think they could even YouTube that commercial if they want to tell, tell us a little bit about, because I thought that story was, was honestly was pretty, pretty, uh, not hilarious in a bad way. It was because of the competition. Well, one of those days he went to summer school every summer and Norelco came to VMI. They had come out with a new razor that had a gel in the razor that you put like a pack that you put in. And so you didn't need shaving cream. It was all in one. It was perfect for someone in the military who had to shave quite often, you know, anyone like that. And they came on campus and said, we're going to give you this razor to try for a few weeks and we'll pay you $75. Well, Ryan's like, I'm in. And at the end of the, few weeks they did focus groups and they videoed them and Ryan called me and he said I'm going to get to be in the commercial and they're going to pay me $200 <laughs> now this is you know this is great and it's during summer school and so forth a couple of days later he calls me again he said you're never going to believe this he said but I'm going to be one of the four featured cadets in the commercial and they're paying me $2,000. Big money. College oh, yeah. money. That's the college money right there. And they were put, and the barracks had no air conditioning. It's August. They were going to put the four cadets in a hotel. They each had their own hotel room. And he was so excited. The first day, there was a knock on the door in the morning. And the person who was coming to pick him up to take him to the post said, I didn't know what you'd want for breakfast. So I went to McDonald's and I got one of everything. (laughs) Of course, he ate it all. You know, (laughs) he wasn't going to let it even go to waste. And he thought this was spectacular. Um, Because he had a speaking part, Norelco paid for him to be in the Screen Actors Guild. So he's just, yeah, I remember that. that. Screen Actors Guild. You know, he had a pension. He had all, you know, (laughs) he was never in anything after that, but um, and he, he just loved every minute of it. And he's in the final scene. Um, it's, he's baby face. He's going over an obstacle course and the, uh, officer pinches his cheek and says, move it baby face. 
So Ryan became known as Babyface, and his unit was in Martinsville, Virginia. There's a NASCAR track there, and they would they always seem to have their their uh, drills when there was a race going on, and uh, so they would try to get to the race. There was also a Hooters, and all of the waitresses and Hooters knew his name, and when he would walk in. It was, hey, baby face. <laughs> Plus, there are several women's, co- well, they were women's colleges. Now, some of them have uh, become co-ed. But Mary Baldwin and Hollins, he knew girls from all of those schools. And his he left his phone with us. So after he we were notified that he had died, we were trying to contact people. And... <laughs> There was just Rose, girls' name after girls' name in his phone. <laughs> and luckily, they had their own little network because as soon as one found out, they contacted everybody else. So we didn't have to do that. But we laughed. We said, well, at the funeral, do we have to set aside one yeah. row for Hollins, one row for Mary Baldwin, and one row for Hooters? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hope you guys are really enjoying this interview with Cheryl Dolts. I really enjoyed speaking with her for, you know, first time at length for me, for you, this was kind of revisiting um, Cheryl and and getting to hear all about Ryan Dolts and getting some behind the scenes info of what went into that War Heroes special. Um, a lot of stuff that I didn't see on there and uh, that you guys experienced that you could share with us sure. because it's uh, as you hear from the interview, it was a highly produced show yeah. and you don't hear what goes into all those takes, all the hours <laughs> upon hours that go into those things. Uh, I hear yeah. walking up and saying, I, I, it was awkward about the hundredth time walking up and saying hi, like where she had to greet me. It was that it, it was almost embarrassing. It's like, how are we going to fake this anymore? Cause we just got tired of saying hi to each other over and over and over again. And honestly, I think it's the first take they actually used to. It was a, it wasn't it was like the very first one we did, but it's going to be the natural one. You yeah, can't really fake. Yeah, exactly. You can't. Yeah. That's why I never, I never understand. You know, I've been in a few commercials, then the war heroes done a few things on TV that were recorded. And it, it, it always, it's always the first one, first take because you, you, everything else you try to act like how they want you to act, but they want you to be natural, which I never understood. Be natural, but we need you to do this. Well, then just <laughs> let me be natural. But it worked out, and, and it was a tremendous episode, and, and she is a trooper, and she made it easy. Yeah, yeah. So hope you guys are enjoying this, and uh, the people who keep us going are great sponsors, uh, one of which, Fort Scott Munitions, is a manufacturer of multi-federal patented solid copper and brass CNC-spun ammunition It's designed to tumble upon impact in soft tissue, leaving devastating wound channels for faster bleed out and quicker incapacitation. This ammunition was originally developed to innovate and improve on the standards of military grade ammunition design. It was found that not only did the TUI ammunition outperform competitors in the self-defense industry, but it quickly became apparent that it would be a top contender for hunters alike. With the ammunition being CNC spun, the tolerances are some of the tightest on the market, ensuring that you receive the same results with each pull of the trigger. Fort Scott Munitions is available throughout privately owned businesses in all 50 states. Just click on the dealer locator on the website. Here's the thing, though. Actually, as I was recording this, I got an email from Fort Scott Munitions, not, you know, like a personal email, but a mailing list email. 
And we're recording this in advance. So by the time you hear this, I have a feeling this is going to be long gone. But I got this email that says the nine millimeter uh, ammo right. is available oh, yeah, yeah. in bulk right now yep. Yep. at a discounted price for a box of 500. Like I said, though, by the time people hear this, it'll probably be out. But that's <laughs> why I would say subscribe to their mailing list because then you'll get alerts if they have these great sales. Otherwise, you do have to get it in person uh, at your local store because they're out of everything on the website. But it looks like every now and again, they'll have these little flash sales for if you're buying in bulk. And in this day and age, with everything being scarce, you probably do want to buy in bulk. And I, you know, speaking with Ryan Craft, uh, who who runs and owns Fort Scott, he was saying they had got some parts, the pieces they needed to to get their nine mil back up and running. So, guys, if you need nine mil, I know nine millimeter. I know a lot of you do, but that that is the the preferred everyday carry for your concealed carry users. Um, guys, it's it's available. So check them out. I'm, I'm hoping there's stuff left. Like Leon said, uh, when you get in there and look, it may all be gone, but get on their mailing list because they will put that out and they are getting pieces and parts for different uh, calibers. Now it's become more readily available, but you see people buying it up in hordes because you don't know if there's going to be a shortage again of ammo. So get on it, get on their mailing list. And then when it pops, you, you know, it's there and go pick it up. And, but I know the nine mils available right now. I have Ryan said they got pieces and they were starting to manufacture it again. So hopefully that, that means a lot. I don't know the numbers, but, Check them out. Go buy it, and and uh, then you'll you'll have your nine mil. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and for those who you know don't see those sales, like I said, sign up on the website. But otherwise, the dealer locator you are you're going to find a place right by you. Um, even here on Long Island, there's places right by me. So in other states, you're going to find a place by you. So use the exclusive promo code BattleLine if you want um, 15% off any of their merch. They do great t-shirts, great hats, uh, just really badass stuff. So FortScottMunitions.com, promo code BattleLine for 15% off. That's only available to our listeners. Fort Scott Munitions is a proud supporter of Chris Peranto, BattleLine Tactical, and the BattleLine Podcast. And of course, we just talked about ammo. We got to talk about night vision. If you listen to the last episode with Phil Otto, uh, you really get a more in-depth view of what they're doing with night vision. They are the leaders in that space. Uh, They are the global leader in night vision solutions, providing more high-quality night vision capabilities than anyone. Hunters, shooters, boaters, and outdoor enthusiasts rely on Photonis Defense Systems to make their adventures safer and more successful. Military, law enforcement, and public safety end users utilize Photonis Defense Solutions to give them the edge at night in tactical situations and rescue operations. Once again, if you check out that episode, you'll hear Phil is former CIA, uh, Marine, as well as private contracting. So he really knows this space well, and that's why he's on board with them. They're now offering state-of-the-art night vision systems from the PD Pro B 16 millimeter binocular and the PD Pro M 16 millimeter monocular to the PD Pro Q panoramic night vision system. Customers from all over are excited about these new, smaller, lighter NVGs. You've got to see these things to really experience how much smaller and lighter they are than anything you've used previously. And you've been posting some things on your own yeah. real, real uh, Chris Peranto Instagram of uh, you out and about using these. Actually, riding a scooter with one of them. I yep. with my PVS 15s. Um, 
uh, goofing around with them, but also doing some serious posts with them, doing, going and do some, uh, just some dry run uh, room clearing with me and Phil. Actually, that was Phil. That was one of my posts that was behind me. Yep. We were doing it clearing the corner, just putting them through what I can at least put them through and then having fun with them and see the weights and the, the balance. And, uh, and really, believe me, if you want to see how they're well balanced, go get on a, one of those electric scooters with <laughs> with them on and have some body armor on. And, you know, the old ones are the, the, the ones that are out there right now, the old night vision or other their competitors night vision you got a piece of metal on the top of your head and if it's heavy, you're going to be off just kilter. You're, you're top heavy. And I'm telling you what, those things, I didn't even feel like I was wearing them. I, they were so light They're They are very small, but you're still getting the, 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 the range of vision that you need with night vision. So um, guys, Fatana's defense is, is becoming the forefront, the, the, the leader and it is in the forefront of night vision right now. So if you're a dealer or you're in the law enforcement community, you need night vision, you need mil-spec night vision, or of course, our military listeners out there, tell your command, hey, check out Fatana's Defense, or if you just like, you're a hunter and you, and you want night vision to go hog hunt, which a coyote hunt, which a lot of people do, you can't go any better than Fatana's Defense, and they're run by veterans, guys that have been there and done that, and I said, I put them on myself, used them, just, just the size and the weight makes them better than what's out there. But then you add on all the little bells and whistles, the turnoff features, the the uh, the turnoff features, the ability to to maneuver them and and, uh, and get them on different angles on your head, which other night vision can't based off their mouths. Guys, they're second to none. So uh, check out Fatana's Defense. And if you want to learn more about them, you know, check out what, what episode was it? 101? Was that Phil? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yep. Phil talked about them uh, in depth and and uh, but he's 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 the guy that that's part of that company and he'll he'll be able to tell you more or hit them up on their on their web page and ask your questions and they'll get you some answers but check out Fatana's defense guys they're a real deal yeah they're excellent and and i'm so honored that they're on board as a sponsor i feel like it gives us some credibility I mean, yeah yeah to really have like a cool night vision sponsor uh, like i i really take pride in who we have on board Me too. We, like if something seems corny and and doesn't fit our audience i don't want them on board as a sponsor i want people that like they're doing cool innovative stuff you yeah. know for back lack of a better way of putting it and they are innovative and, and they're, they're making and, and they're making they're they're making the operator out there the veteran they're making them stronger they're giving them equipment so they can come home that's what i love is that this equipment is not just fun stuff. It's stuff that an operator, guy down range or law enforcement, you're clearing a house is going to use. And it gives you the best opportunity for success, which that means it's the best opportunity for you to come home. And that is the most success. That's what that's what I love these guys for. And you're right. Innovative is just I mean, that's 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 an easy way of explaining what Photonist Defense is, guys. But please check them out. And if your department needs them, your military unit needs them. Go to Photonist Defense, contact them. Guys, you're not going to be disappointed with the quality. They're the best thing out there by far. Yeah, we wouldn't stand behind them otherwise. So visit photonistdefense.com. That's P-H-O-T-O-N-I-S, defense.com. Link is right there in the description for more information or look for Photonist Defense product options from your night vision dealer. <laughs> you know, it's funny the things you think of. Um, just as the day that we were notified um, the one thing that sticks out in my mind, I cannot tell you who the officers were who came. Um, I can tell you what I was wearing because we had come home from the state fireman's parade and it had been drizzling and I had on blue jeans 
and they were soaking wet because you're sitting there in a chair, even with an umbrella, it's dripping. And the first thing you want to do is get out of those wet blue jeans. And I grabbed the first thing I saw. I had a laundry basket that I hadn't taken upstairs. And there was a pair of red plaid flannel pajama bottoms. They were my husband's. I'm like, oh, but they'll be warm. I put them on. I had on an orange Auburn University t-shirt. And that was why my daughter went to the door. And I didn't because I said, I can't go to the door. looking like <laughs> And I'll hold the dog because we had a dog that was not, was lovely to family members, did not like strangers at all. And you talk about my daughter being strong. She turned around and said to me, mom, I think this is for you. No expression on her face at all. I had no idea what I was walking into. And as I walked past the television, the scroll across the bottom of the TV said two New Jersey National Guard soldiers killed in Iraq. Now, it wasn't Ryan they were talking about. They were talking about um, Chris Duffy and Frank Carvel, who were killed on Friday. Um, they didn't have the information yet on Ryan and Umberto. Um, and I went to the door and all I saw was the chaplain's cross. And I knew immediately that Ryan was dead. That, and I asked them to please tell me, I said, I know my son is dead. How did he die? And they couldn't tell me. They wouldn't tell me. They said, can we come in? Of course, they're standing outside in the rain. I, you know, totally forgot to invite them in. And, they wouldn't tell us until my husband could get home. Yeah. And it took us a while to locate them because they were at the fireman's uh, parade. And we had the dog out on our breezeway so that he wouldn't annoy anyone because we had the two officers there. And when my son and my husband came home, the entire Mine Hill Fire Department came with them because they knew something was wrong. And... When they made the announcement, my husband did not handle it well, and they thought he was going to have a heart attack. They called the assistant chief went outside to call the first aid squad, and as he stepped out on the breezeway, he remembered Ann's words, don't go on the breezeway. And again, it's the funny things you remember. He turned around, and the dog grabbed the seat of his pants. Oh, no. uh, you know, he said, I just made it back in with my life. Bobby was, she was tough. Yeah. And uh, the squad came and he was fine. It was just the, the shock of the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. But um, he had said to me before he left that he knew he wasn't coming home. Ryan, Ryan said that. I remember us talking about that, yeah. And he said he had always known that he was going to die young. And I just kind of, you know, oh, yeah, that's not, that's not going to happen. But um, he was right. And I saw a show last night. It was uh, just a regular TV show about someone, a child, someone who had lost a child. And the mother had said, you know, I felt like I would have known when she died, but I didn't. So I kept thinking that she was still alive. It was a child that was missing. And it reminded me, and I haven't told many people this, um, 
the morning that Ryan died, I was on my way to the bank and to make a, a deposit for the teachers union that I worked with. And I was um, going to the post office. And as I was driving to the bank, all of a sudden, I couldn't breathe. I was choking. And I was coughing so hard and I was just, I could not breathe. And I was about to pull off onto the side of the road and call for help when it went away completely. Later on, I would learn that that was the time that Ryan died. And they said that he died within seconds from the blast and the fire. And I think that was him. Wow. That's, that's amazing. Uh, that uh, that's an amazing. I didn't do. We didn't talk about that during that. Uh, even even uh, even during the breaks or even during the hour long breaks that we had between. Scenes. Well, and like I said, I really haven't told a lot of people. Because people look at you like you're crazy. No, not and I I don't. You know that. I I, I right. honestly, that's that's an amazing. Thanks for sharing that, Mom. Yeah, also, yeah. That's that's well, to me. That's 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 a. I, I guess I, I know I, I'm not, I can't be in your shoes, but I, I see that as just something that is so positively amazing that to say, Hey, Hey, Hey mama. Hey, I'm well. And something else happened a couple of months later. Um, and this is common with all gold star mothers. Cause I've talked to others. It seemed like whenever you were in the car, you would cry. It didn't matter if you were by yourself or with other people, you could be fine at home, but you got in the car and the tears started. And I was on my way to Home Depot with my husband and we were stopped at a stoplight and I'm looking off into the woods. And at that point, there were a lot of what if, what if I had been tougher on him? What if I had made him stay in the commissioning program? What if, what if, what if, and we're stopped at this light. And all of a sudden I felt the weight of an arm around my shoulders and it was warm. And I heard his voice in my ears say, I'm okay, mom. It's okay. I have never had a what if since then. I have never had a regret about anything since then. That's awesome. That's, that's, and Ian, I know Ian's the same as I do. We, I believe in that. I believe wholeheartedly. I've felt the hand of, I haven't felt the hand of, hand of, uh, you know, a a son because he's still in high school here, but I, I know God's, I felt the hand of God. I felt it, that there is there God's out there and he's watching over us. And there's angels out there that, and obviously Ryan's one of them. And he's, he's, he's right there with you saying, mom, I'm okay. That's why you're so strong. That's why I admired your strength when I was talking to you and go, cause I was going through hard times when we were doing the TV show and your, your strength made me like, okay, I can, I can suck it up. Jeez, Mama Dulce is kicking my ass on strength. <laughs> I, I can be a little bit tougher than what I'm being. So, well, I try. Yeah, you um, do good. You do. Awesome. Ryan said going to VMI was easier after living with me because <laughs> <laughs> um, I can see that. Yeah, but something, something tells me he 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 earned a lot of those. Um, disciplinary actions can can we say butt weapons or can we not say that in today's society yeah, yeah um yeah you know that he he was well i have to say though his brother was the one who would get him into trouble <laughs> greg would come up with the ideas ryan would do it 
And then Greg would stand back and go, wasn't me, it was him. <laughs> sort of like those commercials for Cheetos. Yeah. I didn't <laughs> Greg was the one who came up with the idea in the first place. And Anne would just shake her head and said, I really didn't need two brothers. <laughs> she did try to send Greg back when, when he was a baby. She told Santa Claus, take him back and give me a dog instead. <laughs> When you talk about the uh, the yeah. what ifs, though, it really um, it, just from the guys that I've interviewed doing this, you, you kind of realize that no matter what their path is in life, like this is what they want to do, which is why it's like such a crazy thing when you hear, um, you know, whenever we go into another war or anything like that, they'll they'll often ask senators and that type of thing, you know, would you send your kid to war? And I don't think it's as simple as, send, you know, air fingers quotes, sending your kid to war. Someone either wants to do this or they don't want to do this. And, you know, we don't we don't have a draft or anything in this country anymore. So it's 100 percent voluntary. And it sounds like for him, this this was his path. This was exactly what he wanted to do. Yeah. And there's probably nothing you could have said or nothing his brother could have said that would have stopped him going down that path. That is what he wanted. The only thing I could imagine is when he said to you, um, I'm not going to come back. I'm going to die young. I could only imagine if I said that to my mom, she would be furious for me to even talk that way. And I'm, I'm guessing for you probably to hear that from your son. It's like, well, why are you saying that? You know? Well, I just said, Oh, don't be silly. You know, you're just nervous about going um, that because I knew he wanted to go, but I could also tell from his demeanor that as the time got closer to go, it, he was getting nervous. No, this was this, no, so fill people in. This was a second deployment, though. Right? So the first one, remember we talked. He, it was great. It, this was another deployment. Right. That he, he was, and he was going with a different unit, wasn't he? He was. He had transferred to New yeah. Jersey. That's right. And he didn't have to go because at that time, the National Guard members yeah. could not be deployed more. You know, you had to have a, a space between deployments, and this would only be six months in between the two deployments, but he volunteered to go when they, and when he transferred to New Jersey, they said, Oh, we don't get deployed. We guard the bridges and the tunnels. Two weeks later, they got the notice they were being deployed. And, uh, he's, he told the, uh, commanding officer, he said, I will go so that someone who has a wife and children can have to. That's all. That's amazing. Like the young man that he died with. Umberto wasn't supposed to have gone. Um, I was told that he was called up to replace Ryan when Ryan was injured in training. But someone else said, no, he was replacing someone else. But whatever happened, Umberto was not supposed to have been there. Um, He was supposed to have been home. His wife was regular army in Korea, and they had a young son. Uh, But he was called up, and he... He died next to Ryan. Ryan was injured in training. He broke both of his heels. And they talk about that in the... Um, yeah, and War Heroes. We talked about that. Yep. Um, he wasn't supposed to be eligible to go back till July. Um, he convinced them in March that he was okay. And he left on Good Friday. I believe it was April 7th or 8th um, to go to Iraq. And then died on June 5th. Yeah. And, you know, he uh, he wanted to be with his unit. He did not want to wait and go with a different unit. He hadn't been with them that long, but he felt they knew what they were doing. He liked them. Um, they were from Jersey. He knew them well. 
And if he had waited till July, they might have put him with yeah. Yeah. From wherever that may not have been trained as well. And um, he really, you know, even though he was had only known them a short time, he had become very close to some of them. And in fact, Frank Carvel was teaching him to play the bagpipes because he wanted to learn the bagpipes. And Frank was the member of the unit who could do that. Um, but he, you know, he was doing what he wanted to do. Um, and we're very proud of him for that. Um, but after, when there were no more what ifs, I decided that we had to start a foundation for yeah. his degree. And um, not thinking, I chose the Sergeant Ryan Adults Memorial Foundation. That takes a long time to have to write out when you're writing. Uh, my daughter said, you, know, you couldn't have gone with something shorter. Like our the website she set up is rememberingryan.org. So that's a lot easier. But it just it just seemed like the proper name for him. And um, we give scholarships every year. We give them to local high school seniors. We give them to uh, members or dependents of the New Jersey National Guard. And also to a cadet at VMI, who is a member of band company, as Ryan was. Um, Colonel Brody, who is the uh, regimental band commander, is the one who chooses the winner. And uh, he's done a great job um, of doing that. And, you know, this is our way of keeping his memory alive. We, If we hear of someone from the National Guard uh, or even regular military who ha- they need something, we try to help out. The wife of one of Ryan's friends, um, her husband was training to be a helicopter pilot. Uh, so he was at Fort Rucker. She was in Texas, and someone stole their lawnmower. So we sent them the money for a new lawnmower. Uh, little things like that. Wherever we can help out, we make uh, something they call comfort pillows that we give to the Marine Corps League, and they take them to Walter Reed and to the veterans' hospitals. It's a pillow shaped much like a bone. It was originally designed for breast cancer patients, but it works perfectly for amputees. Hmm. To put it under their arm or their legs so that it's it's a cushion to make it a little bit more comfortable. Um, they also just give them to the veterans as a thank you. You know, it's something you can use as a pillow in a car or on a plane, um, whatever. Um, we work with the retired teachers and another group called College Club. And um, we make these pillows. And like I said, we give them to the Marine Corps League and they distribute them for us. Uh, but it's just our, our way of helping. And you, you've got, I don't think we're recording when, when we were talking about it, me and you were just chatting about it, the, the acts and, and the, what, cause you always do, I think it's annually. We used to do the tricky trays, which I had no idea what a tricky tray was guys. You guys are in the East coast. You can make fun of me all you want. We don't I, do. Tricky. I would have no idea. <laughs> but you, 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 know. you do like a, a fundraiser and I, are you still doing annually or did, or did the Rona screw all that up? How, well, what, no, no, well, it did kind of, it messed things up a lot, but we decided uh, we used to do tricky trays and they were huge, but we decided to, I'm getting older and uh, it was tiring me out. But what we are doing this year is something called a kick X fundraiser. 
It's going to be on October 10th, Sunday afternoon, um, at Stumpy's Hatchet House in Fairfield, New Jersey, <laughs> where you can throw axes at a target. Uh, you can drink beer or wine or wine coolers and have snacks of all sorts. And then the money will go towards Ryan's scholarship that we give. Each yeah, I was looking at uh, before Chris came on, I was looking at my calendar. I'm going to be at the Adir- in the Adirondacks with some friends, but otherwise I would absolutely be there. But I was going to say that's where the um, where the show really leaves off is, is at the annual event, the annual fundraiser, which I, I erroneously realized I said in the intro June 4th. And, and I assume you have the correct date. So June 5th, I should correct right. myself, um, uh, is when uh, we lost Ryan. But yeah, that's that's where the show leaves off is at that fundraiser. We can get into that a little bit. But I, I wanted to ask you, like once the show was finally done, and I know you saw it way before it aired, because as Chris said, it was years ago, you were at the premiere in New Jersey. Another thing I should have been at, I, I couldn't go for some reason. I don't remember what. But when you finally saw it on the big screen at that premiere, I mean, after hours upon hours of filming, and as you said earlier, having to film everything a million times, what did you think of the final product? Did you think it was well done? And, and I'll, I'll say this, I got some feedback from listeners, and some people felt, they said it was so sad I had to turn it off. I mean, to me, I felt like it was a good balance of the fun times, like that commercial, which I remembered after seeing it, and, you know, and, and the sad as well. I didn't think it was all sad. I, I want to hear what you thought, though. Now, I thought it was perfect. Um, the premiere was not in New Jersey. It was in Las Vegas. So we did the Vegas. Yeah, that's right. That was the Vegas. first one. Yeah, that's There was right. one in Jersey, though, right? We, we, did, yeah, we, we did the New Jersey one was okay. a few months after. No, there was there was two. There was a soft right. premiere in Vegas, and then the the big premiere was Jersey. I remember. Yeah, I thought they did a wonderful job. And I think because so few people in this country, I've heard it's less than one half of 1% of the people in this country are directly connected to someone in the military. They don't understand what it's like. Even during peacetime, if we ever see that again, it's, it's different. It's, you have a different feeling about everything. And if you have no connection, Oh, there's a war going on, but it doesn't affect me. No one from my family is there. So, you know, Oh, yeah, it's in the paper, and there's a line that says two soldiers were killed in a helicopter crash. You know, oh, okay, too bad. And you go on. But if you're in the military or have a connection to the military, it's different. Now, going back to Vietnam, everyone had a connection some way because there was a draft. But once the draft was over, it was very, very different. And... People don't realize just how traumatic it can be. But you also have to realize that you can take a horrible thing that happens and turn it into something positive. And that's what we did with Ryan's foundation. Um, I truly believe that if we hadn't done the foundation, I wouldn't get out of bed during, you know, I would just stay in bed that I would not have a reason to get up. Uh, And that happens to so many families that they can't get beyond the death of their loved one. And, you know, they just relive it day after day. And I can't do that. I have to make something positive out of it. Well, that's My daughter 
teases me. She goes, you know, you're always planning something for the future. I say, because you have to have something to look forward to. Especially when you get to be my age, you cannot, you know, I have less years ahead of me than I have behind me. So I intend to make the most of them. Right. And this virus has messed that up a lot. Yeah. I, that's I, And people should all live like that. So you always have something positive to look forward to. Always move. Actually, we always say move forward and you, you amplify, you exemplify that. Amplify it even, is even a better word. Uh, you do, because I, that's, even and and you know with the media and so forth, the media who, who we talked about war heroes really did you wrong, and I have no love for the media. You know that, like I can't stand it. But how you handled them, where I probably would have went and beat the living shit out of the reporter. <laughs> but you're like, hey, you know, and you, you treated him. You almost scolded him like like a mom or a teacher would. But it still came out as not something negative. It was more of a positive, like, hey, learn from this. Don't ever do it again. Absolutely. And that was amazing to me because especially at that time when, I mean, I've, I've let the media go. I still don't have any love for them. I don't do the media anymore. Uh, very rarely if I ever, at that time, it was so much hatred for them. I, and I had to hate something. I, I did. I, I, you didn't show much, but after talking to you, it was, it was, man, she, she let well, go of something that was, I think 10 times worse of how they betrayed her and her family. And she didn't go postal literally, which I would have never, I, which I would have, I'm not, I'm not condoning that, but I would never, I, wouldn't have said that. <laughs> I used to tell my students, don't, you don't ever want to incur the wrath of Mrs. Dalton. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and if I would get upset with a child, they'd say, was that the wrath? I'm like, Oh no, no. <laughs> when the wrath appears, you'll hear it all the way down the hall. <laughs> <laughs> and my, my own children would say they could tell when I had reached a certain point because my voice would go up about three octaves higher. And then they knew they were really in trouble. But you were when you were talking about the media, you were talking about Newsweek. Yeah, yeah. News, Newsweek, which, which is uh, funny because not to be confused with Newsmax, who aired it. It sounds very similar. And, and, but, and at that time, there there really wasn't a lot of checks and balances on the media. There there wasn't during that. They could they could report whatever they wanted and they usually did without without letting family members know hey we're gonna throw a picture or something you know right. instead of asking for permission which i think now they they do more than they used to but that time it was rampant they were terrible and, and my son took my reaction differently i was not upset i was upset that they were trying to hide it from me yeah. because i knew something was going on because there was too much whispering and you know, darting here and there and, and close, not saying anything when I got near them. And so I, I heard the word Newsweek. So I had gone looking for them myself and they were all gone out of the. Oh, that's, yeah. We talked about war, watch more heroes, guys. We talked about this all. We're, we're just giving you a synopsis of what happened. Sure. But I was not upset. I was upset that they didn't warn us. Sure. And, and for those uh, who haven't seen it, meaning a photo of your son in there. Yes, and of his unit and of the vehicle that he had been in covered in blood. And I, when I saw them, I was actually relieved because what you imagine oh, yeah. is 10 times worse because the Army gives you very little information, very little. And, you know, it's a bomb. Well, mom wasn't directly under them. They were passing another car. It was the other car that blew up. And they had 
the blast injuries from the explosion that was next to them. Sure. And the photographer gave me more information on the whole thing than anyone else did. Um, and I, when I wrote to Newsweek, they contacted me. They were very gracious. They apologized. They said, I'm not mad. I want the world to know what happens to the soldiers. But you need to let the families yeah, know. <laughs> but let's do it the right way. And it, you're, you're, you're right. And that, that was... Obviously, Ryan, I could, as soon as you saw it, you knew it was Ryan. You could see his face. And um, the, I met with the photographer in Washington. He brought me a disc of the, all the, well, not all the photos he took because there were blanks. And my friend who was with me said to him, is this okay for her to see? And he said, I made sure that it was. So I know he took out things that he thought sure. would be difficult for me to look at. But again, knowing what happened is better than imagining what happened. Because your brain will just go over and amp and make it worse. If you're, and, and you used it, and, and I use it today after I use it throughout, even my little social media posts and things. Negative, I try to turn that into a teaching point now. And honestly, I got that really. I, my mother was a teacher, so I got that from her bringing up whether I wanted to or not. It was ingrained in me. But I, it, where it started to come out is after I talked to you. I was like, okay, this is this is no more anger. Let's use this as a way to teach people how to be better, how to be leaders, how to overcome adversity. Absolutely. And, and that was, hey, Mama Dulce, that was that's <laughs> on you. That really, that's where I turned the corner was after we did our show. Well, you know what's interesting? I was going to ask you something, Chris, after I watched the actual show. I was kind of putting the timeline together in my head of when it was shot and yeah. um, probably when I saw you last before then and then what the last time I saw you you know, after then and how the show ends with the fundraiser and you can't be there and you're in your car filming a video. I, I was where, I, yeah, I deployed. I was actually doing it. Yeah, at, that's what I'm at, saying. Yeah, yeah. Where you say... I, you know, I'm sorry, I can't be here. I'm going to give this donation. I was asked to be back overseas. So I was actually curious, was that your last deployment or one that of your was, last that, Actually, that was, and that was my, where I was turning the corner, but I had reached my breaking point for all the crap that was going on. And that's when I nuked all my social media. That's when I just like, screw this. I'm going to South America doing an anti-kidnapping contract. I am tired of all this. I'm tired of the media. I'm tired of my social media. I'm tired of my life. If I don't come back, great. I, I want to, but hey, screw it. I got to, and I couldn't go to Iraq or Afghanistan because I lost all my security clearances. So yeah, that that was that time. That was actually that's when the implosion happened, and I came back home from South America, and and it was, so was a that great, the the final one. That was the last one I did. I was gone another Halloween because it was right around Halloween. We did it, and I did, and I remember looking at a picture of my, my three-year-old, he was three at the time and he was going out to do trick or treating. And I was thinking of, of honestly, all this was going through my head, thinking of the war heroes and talking to mom and and what she said and her strength and me going, okay, you've imploded. You've got everything done. You're, you're, you basically hit a reset button. And that's how I did my reset button. I, I went to work. I got out, I got back into something I like to do, which was contracting military contract and security contract. But I was looking at my three-year-old boy's picture, thinking of family members, you know, thinking as me, mom adults and gold star family members. And I'm like, why the hell am I gone again? <laughs> why am I missing another Halloween? And when I got home though, 
it was, it was a great reset. I felt terrible missing the, the, I did, I, I, but I was, I had to go. I was like, I, I had to get out of here. I had to leave and go. And I, it was an opportunity that I could go basically go be a contractor again, enjoy what I used to do. And South America to me, my Spanish comes back in about 30 days. So <laughs> like it felt like home, but um, still doing a contract that I would do in between GRS contracts. We, I used to do anti-kidnapping contracts in South and Central America all, uh, quite often. Um, so yeah, that's what, but that was the turning point. The war heroes, if, if we ever go back to where did Tano really almost implode and, and never come back, it was then. <laughs> but it was it was after talking to mom adults. It really it was. It was like, okay, I had to get my shit together. How do I do this? Were you okay. in like a weird phase? Because the thing yeah. is, I mean, I know you're saying that you were, but what I'm wondering is you filmed that, which was a big production, and then you went back overseas. Were you in your head saying like, Hey, do I want to be a media personality and maybe do this full time, or do I want to go back yeah. to contracting? Yeah. yeah. Was it and like a kind of struggle within? Yeah, it, it was. Do I want to? And if and then when it was when I was there, it was okay. I, I don't want to contract anymore because I was missing another Halloween. I don't want to be the media person that I was, which was the divisive, ah, divisive guy. That's ah, Hillary sucks. Obama's ah, being that guy. It was okay. Let's do it on my terms. Let's build it back. And that's where that's again, but this where it all started. It all started the, where <laughs> the little brick came out of that dam, which was a good thing at the war. He was when we were doing this, we were doing the filming and mama Dulce and I are sitting on the couch and she's on her chair and I'm sitting on that love seat and we're talking. And in my head, as we're talking, I'm looking at her going, all right, this woman is teaching me a lot right now about how to be strong. I am not being strong. I'm being a complete divisive asshole really not doing any good for people right now. I got to get out of here and go figure this out. And that's when the, it was like, God, dude, God, I didn't even know I had a contract. I got back home and all of a sudden I get a call on the phone. Hey, you want to go to South America? We got Anna kidnapping. A guy I used to work with at GRS was working privately for a company in Texas. He goes, you want to go to South America and run around and try to catch guys that are kidnapping Americans? <laughs> There's like, sure. What the hell? But not fine. All right, let's go. And it just all worked out that way. So, yeah, I, I, I know we're this. We're taking over a lot of your time, Miss Dolph. But uh, no, but it, it's all part well, of the, it, it's all part of the show. I mean, that's where it ended. And and so I think people probably had questions. And and actually, people just seeing it on Newsmax now who don't know any better, and, and you know, you can't blame them. People just turn on the TV and they see it. They must be like, oh, Chris Peranto is still a contractor. That's what I would think because. We don't know how long ago that was filmed. That, that was my so. last one because I don't I don't want to miss another Halloween. I don't want to miss another birthday. <laughs> I don't want to miss another and I don't I don't need it. I was when I was overseas doing that, I was just I, I, you, some contractors continue to go over when they get older because they they still want to feel kind of cool. That's part of the thing too. And I was like, man, I got nothing else to prove. What am I doing here? Yeah. Well, you know, the the other question I wanted to ask you, you know, and unless there's anything else before we wrap up, when when I uh, booked you and and you said I could call you Cheryl, I feel crazy not thinking it's adults, but when I booked you, Cheryl, and I I spoke to you on the phone, you said, um, you know, this was right after the withdrawal from Afghanistan and and you gave me your feelings on that. And people may want to hear your feelings as someone who did lose a son because I know that the family members uh, of those Marines, Navy corpsmen, they're, they're, feeling probably the same way you felt on that day in 2000. I'd, I'd love to hear what your feelings are too. 
if you, if you well, don't mind, if you don't mind, Mama Dolts, if you don't mind, I'd really appreciate it as well. Everyone who's been around me has heard my. <laughs> I think our government screwed up big time. That you do not tell the bad guys when you're leaving. In World War II, it was loose lips sink Thank ships. You. Well, loose lips telling Afghanistan we're pulling out on such and such a day. Get your people out first, then tell them you're leaving. But get the civilians out. Don't leave them there and have to them try to figure out how they're going to get out. Don't believe the Taliban. They're lying to you. They are not going to treat the women like human beings. They are pretty. And what did they just already do? No secondary education for women now. I, they're just that's I, 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 do you have to do, I mean I, I swear people uh, people in DC are dumber than a bag of hammers literally well, it's just ridiculous you know like we believe politicians when they campaign and they're going to do this and they're going to do that for you and they're not because once they're elected they're going to do whatever they please and it irritates me and I was just talking with someone this morning whose son was Maureen there needs to be no parties. We need to get rid of Republicans and Democrats and just have Americans. I would love that. Yeah. They have to go out and they have to campaign in person and nothing on television or social media, no campaigning. I'm so sick. <laughs> they start a year ahead of time campaigning for mayor of New York city. I get so tired of those commercials. Thank God for being able to, um, you don't tape anymore, but whatever you do, when you save the show, <laughs> forward through those commercials. Is it, is it still TiVo? Or is that, is that old? Is that not, is TiVo, is that old? DVR. DVR. Okay. DVR. That I can't stand watching commercials that are wasting my time because I know that whatever they're telling you, they're not going to be able to do. I'll say it's, it's horse shit. I'll just say it for you. You don't have to cuss. I'll cuss for it. It's you know, that, there are very few politicians that I trust. Um, I think they have messed up. I do not think our administration listened to the military um, because the military would have said, you can't just do that without you know, getting our people out, making it safe for them. Um, you were talking about Hillary Clinton before. Uh, after Benghazi, most Goldstone mothers referred to her as Killary. Not Hillary, and but she was all for women, though. Remember that? That's oh, what yeah. that's what my mom would tell. Me. Remember that she was all for women, and she was. What about me? And my mom would say that. What about me? Am I not a woman? And you know, and she fell on her sword afterwards. You know, she resigned, and rightly so because she caused the death of four Americans and injuries to others, and put so many your life and so many other lives in danger, and. President Obama was just as much at fault because he's, I'm sure he's the commander in chief. People exactly. forget about that. He's the one that's in charge and he kind of got out of there scot-free, not really. Yeah, yeah. And he's, but he's mainly responsible. That's the guy that was in charge. Of and I do not personally feel that during wartime, you should ever have a commander in chief who has not served in the military because they don't understand. And they don't listen. They're there because they are now powerful and they are getting rich. 
and they don't understand what the military goes through and what anyone in the military goes through or the families. And they can say they do. And I know the white house had a beautiful Christmas tree devoted to the military. That doesn't help the families at all. Pay them better. Number one, you know, so that they're not struggling to get by, but they have to do more for them. And, start by not making stupid mistakes like they did in Afghanistan. They're they're not, they're not bad. It really is. They're not tacticians, even though they claim to be claim to be smarter than smarter than Jill private snuffy on the ground. As far as they aren't, they're not unless you've done it, been it, you've led troops, you've, you've been led by tremendous leaders, you know, tactics, you know, techniques, You've read every damn manual out there, which you have to read when you're in the military, every damn training manual, FM field manual. Then you've applied it and you've been, you don't know. And if you're not willing to listen to people that have done it, you shouldn't be in charge or should just step away. To have been in battle and lose friends, they don't understand what happens. The sacrifice. They have no idea what sacrifice is. And very, I, I've and I was when I was talking to this person this morning. We were talking about former uh, Congressman Rodney Freelingheisen. He was truly not a politician; he was a statesman because he thought of the state of New Jersey first before he thought about anything else. And he went out of his way to help veterans, to help military families. When Ryan died, we and I said we wanted him buried at Arlington. They told us it would be three to six weeks before he could be buried. And when he got wind of that, he called and said, no, combat deaths go ahead of World War II. And so we then got a call, and it was in three days or four days wow. or five days, something like that, that they were making the combat deaths wait till after those from world war ii who had died he said you know they're older they can wait take the <laughs> deaths first and when um a young man who was a captain in the marines wanted to escort ryan's body home the army said no he's not a relative and he's not in the army he can't do it and congressman freelingheisen made some calls and our Keiko said to me all you have to do is sign on this paper that Donnie Hasseltine is a VMI brother and he can escort him home. And he did. Wow. And um, he, at that time he was assigned to a two-star Marine general in Washington. And so he met the plane and they wouldn't allow us to meet the plane at Dover because I wanted to go. Why, why, why why not? What was, they did not want families going. We were told it was not allowed. I think it was, they didn't want to see how many bodies were coming home. This was in 2004 and there were a lot of deaths. It was that, it was a very rough time. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, being a rule follower, I said, fine. Um, I found out that other families went anyway. Now they have a Fisher house there where you can stay and wait and you're welcome to be there. I really, you know, I would very much like to have done that, but we weren't able. 
Wow. That's and, uh, so Donnie and uh, Michael Scassese, who was Ryan's roommate in Iraq, and the New Jersey State Police brought him home. And uh, the then governor uh, said, I understand he likes to drive fast. I said, oh, are you checking his driving record? Because he had a lot of speeding. <laughs> um, he said he instructed the state police to do 85 miles an hour the whole way. <laughs> and they made it from the Jersey-Delaware border in record time. You know, to Randolph, and we heard them coming from a distance with lights and sirens and everything. Um, they turned them off shortly before they got to the funeral home. But sure. Ryan would have loved that. He, you know, he would have thought that was the greatest thing. Oh, that's awesome. That's just, he did like to drive fast, <laughs> made us all nervous, and that's why they often made him the lead vehicle because he didn't stop for anything. He, uh, one. A uh, fellow from his unit said, I had to repair the mirrors on those cars so many times. <laughs> and those vehicles because he would, it didn't matter if the space was narrow, he went through it. You know, he just, he made his way through. Well, you, you, you didn't want to stop when you stopped your target. Exactly. And, you know, stopping and being in a position for more than 30 seconds made everybody nervous whenever I remember. I remember those vividly actually now talking about it. Like, God, just we're sitting 15 seconds. We're sitting here too long. We got to move guys. We got to move. That was uh, those days, those days. It was crazy like that. It was, it was. They, uh, you know, they said that um, when the gate opened, yeah, it's going 60 miles an hour, yeah. right through those narrow streets and he would blow the horn. And if something was in the way and it didn't move, he went right over the top of it. You know, uh-huh. but he just, he didn't stop because they said, exactly that that it, you know you're a target if you stop. you are you're you're and then uh yeah because you were they were doing just even grenades under the cars just tossing them under the car coming home from a mission they're within less than a mile of the base and it's an ied yeah they 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 got smart with their tactics uh, you know they did i mean that's they knew you can only be you can only vary routes so much but when you're coming home there's only a couple ch- choke points that you can go. And I mean, that, that's what we would do. And, and it, it sucked. And they were getting good with their IEDs and VBIDs. They were. Well, they were this one, this is something that the photographer told me, because he had been all over Bosnia, and that area. He, he was a photojournalist. That's all he'd ever wanted to do. That this wasn't the typical IED. This was something like you would see in Bosnia. It was a much more advanced, sure. uh, bigger. He said to him, it was almost like two artillery shells. Yeah, it probably yeah. was. I- um, because they were just a short distance away. He was embedded with the 1st Cavalry. And at that point, you were still having to get permission to go and help. And when the Mayday was sounded, he the lieutenant said to him, screw it, we're going. Yeah. Well, they were there within seconds. And so they, he told us about the vehicle. There was also someone hiding in the bushes, maybe the person who set off the IED, but he was captured. And he said, they took him away. His feet didn't touch the ground. You know, they took him off. Um, but he said it was the biggest explosion he had ever seen 
of all of the things going on there at that time. Enough that it flipped yeah. this armored vehicle several times and ended up going in the opposite direction. They, they were, yeah, they, I remember them getting and daisy chaining artillery shells and rockets and lumping them together. And, and, yeah. and you know, but again, I have to say, Ryan was doing what he wanted to do. And he was, he had sent me a message a week or so before that. He said, yeah, I'm not driving a Humvee anymore. You don't have to worry. I'm in an armored vehicle. Well, yeah. And I truly believe that when it's your time, yeah. it is your time. You're not going to go out of your way to try to do things to speed it up. However, yeah. when it's time for you to leave this earth, it's going to happen no matter where you are. That's why you don't you don't live in fear. You just live. You just live. And I think a lot of people need to hear that more than ever now. I, and I I never lived in fear. I never lived in fear overseas. I don't live in fear here. I just live. And you can enjoy life so much more if you just live. Just live and don't worry. And I keep telling my grandchildren, I you know I'm old, but I intend to be around when you graduate from high school, when you graduate from college, when you get married. I want to see my great grandchildren. And Addie looked at me and she goes, you're elderly now. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. But I will still be here. Grandma, and still be out drinking wine coolers and throwing sharp axes. That's what we're doing here. Well, th- this was awesome. And it really is a, a privilege and an honor that yes, you came on here and shared these stories. Because I think for uh, a lot of these families, they they don't want to share these stories. And, and rightfully so. It's their right to say, I don't want to talk about this. And so it means a lot that you're able to come on here and do that. Um, so once again, Cheryl Dultz, uh, you can check out WarHeroesTV.com, at WarHeroesTV on Twitter and Instagram. And then for Sergeant Ryan Dultz, the Sergeant Ryan Dultz Memorial Foundation, which is on Facebook, and RememberingRyan.org. The fundraiser, once again, is October 10th at the Kick the Kick Axe fundraiser at Stumpy's Hatchet House in Fairfield, New Jersey, 3 to 5 p.m., $35. And you just got a RSVP right on the site on rememberingryan.org is the, is the best place? Probably. There is um, um, a form to fill out that you can send in. And it goes to my daughter because she keeps track of all. She wants to make sure there's no axe murderers coming to the axe <laughs> event. Yeah, yeah don't, don't. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. They pay their $35, they're welcome to. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, no, if there's uh, so. any listeners that are in the New Jersey area, definitely yeah, cool. uh, come check it out. Um, but that's awesome. And, and I really appreciate you giving us this time. And it's been uh, been an honor having you on. Thanks, Mom and Dumps. Very much. I appreciate it. Anytime I can talk about Ryan, I love it. We'll, we'll get you, and we'll get you back on again. I just because uh, you're you're such a good talker, and you're willing to tell, <laughs> tell stories, and and you're really you're engaging, and that's yeah, that's, I agree. And I think a lot of Gold Star families will, will take that for maybe they need to. Be more like mom adults, more just get out get out there and talk a little bit. Maybe that will help. And obviously it's made it's made you and you you help guys like me that we think we're badasses when we realize, wait a second, we're really not as tough as we think we are. <laughs> I think we can be a little tougher. So keep doing what you're doing. You're you're amazing and, and you help me personally. That time frame, I was going through a really hard time. I didn't show it a whole bunch, but I was and, and it really it was a turning point for me. I mean 
Oh, well, so, thank you. Thank you. Well, I'll tell you, if I ever had a problem, you're the first one that's going to call. I'm coming. <laughs> I'm coming. Oh, yeah. Especially the East Coast. I don't have a problem coming down there. You're, you're, uh, tell Greg and Ann hi for me, please. I will. Definitely. Thank you, man. Awesome. Yeah. And for our listeners, um, as always, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, check out our great sponsors who keep us going. And uh, yeah, Tonto'sGearLocker.com for uh, all the uh, latest of where you'll be and all that great stuff. Thanks, thanks, guys, as always. That's all for this episode of the Battleline Podcast. But we'll be back on Monday with more American Straight Talk. Until then, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Battleline Podcast and on Twitter at Battleline Pod. To sign up for future Battleline tactical courses, go to www.christantoperanto.net. Believe in yourself, face all challenges head on, and as always, never, never quit. quit.